Chopper History Matters. We are joined in the studio by Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, who's going to catch us up on this week in history. Good morning. Good How are you? Good morning, Aaron. Well, happy 50th anniversary. 1973, Martin Cooper is working for Motorola, and um, they had had uh, car phones these bulky things that were in cars, and it was not huge, but that was what everybody thought, that's going to be the future. But Martin Cooper was one of those people who thought, you know, really, the phone is an extension of who you are, so why restrict it to just the car? And finally, they came up with one best described as a brick, two and a half pounds, <laughs> 10 inches Long, That's my phone today. <laughs> exactly. They're getting bigger. And um, the first call, I kind of like this. The first call that this fellow makes is to his competitor over at Bell Labs to say, I'm calling you from a cell phone that's not in a car. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that was 50 years ago today. 1973. Awesome. You know, which is invention of the they, cell phone. All oh, right. yeah. We think of Gutenberg and the printing press. That takes a bit of a time, but... So what was what then was the technology? Because now, like, we can't make cell phone calls unless there's cell towers. So what was the what was the the mechanism it, that you used to to connect with other phones? <laughs> Strings and cans. Okay, that kind gotcha, of thing. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah. And, one that I did not uncover the answer to. It's one of those things with like uh, cool new technology. It was the same thing I assume with with motor vehicles in the right. in the early twentieth century. It's like, all right, we've got this great new technology, but no one can use it until we have <laughs> gas stations set up. Like we need to have those right. first, then cars. But the gas stations aren't going to open unless people have cars to go and buy gas. So you have to set up that infrastructure Which first. Which is and now it's happening weird. with electric cars. With electric too. cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. And it's interesting how. Uh, Sometimes those new technologies get defined by what they're not, mm. like the horseless carriage. Yep, you yep. know, the idea of like, what is this? Well, it doesn't have a horse. Well, well that's how <laughs> we're going to find it. Or how um, digital cameras were like uh, filmless cameras. Filmless cameras, yeah. Same thing. And, and even cell phones became known as wireless because you'd always have yep. a wire to plug in for a standard uh, landline. So it's very interesting to see how... We, we adopt new technology, but we are thinking in terms of, well, what went before? Yep. And uh, that's one of those kind of interesting things. So the next time you're using your cell phone going, ah, do I have to use it? Go, well, there was a time when that wasn't there. Yeah. And somehow we survived as humanity despite not having that. Do like the full circleness of, oh, man, I lost my cell phone. Man, if only there was like a way to fix the cell phone to the wall so that right. you didn't lose it. Right. Kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. Or Velcro. Or Velcro or something, yeah. Well, here's a couple of things. Uh, another origin story, which is, it goes back to um, February of 1958, and a graphic artist, uh, Gerald Holtham in England, uh, was asked to uh, design some kind of a logo that could be used with a nuclear disarmament movement in Britain. And so he played around and finally thought, well, a circle, and then he looked at uh, something real simple, and he realized that the semaphore, these are the flags used on ships, well, um, if you used a couple of those, it would spell out N and D, which was a line straight down, then two lines uh, off to the side. That's for nuclear disarmament, exactly, right? for yeah. nuclear disarmament. Right. Well, it's first used uh, on April 4th, uh, 1958, 
one of the people in a in a protest march, you know, about this because this was a big deal at that point in time. And um, at this point, there was a, a young protege of Dr. Martin Luther King, Bayard Rustin, mm -hmm. who participated in that, saw this, and he's the one who brings it back over to the United States, and it starts to crop up all over, and it's not copyrighted, so it's used and become a, a symbol of peace and protest uh, throughout the world. This is the peace symbol. That's yep. right, the peace symbol, as yeah. we know, which is kind of unusual. You'll think, uh, here's two origin stories, <laughs> which we like to and that's at. And that's a Bayard Rustin thing, too. Yes. I did not know that. That's right, yes. And he, he was involved here. Uh, he was arrested in North Carolina with the Freedom Riders uh, when they were testing to see could they... Uh, could people ride on interstate busing? And, of course, there's segregation laws. He's arrested and sent to a segregated chain gang. It doesn't stop him. He keeps going forward. And he's one of the people who, of course, organizes the March on Washington, where Dr. King speaks. Which is celebrating its 60th anniversary That's right. this and year. Also, yeah, well, this is yeah. also the, the week when we remember when he's tragically, when Martin Luther King was tragically killed. Uh, but uh, his dream lives on and, and the lives of so many other people. And people have just picked up that mantle, and that has continued to spread, just like the peace symbol. So yep. these are good things. Also, the 60th anniversary of the letter from Birmingham Jail. We're starting to right. see uh, events this week and next to, to commemorate yes. that, too. Yes, yeah. very important kind yep. of moments in our history. that, And we need to put them in context and say this is before the Civil Rights Act of the mid-1960s. Also, we have to look at language used in some of these that we'd say today is racially insensitive, uh, but at that time, that was the language that was being used uh, uh, in its time. So it's, it's all important to put things in context, but also say, what's the importance? I mean, we have Thoreau's letter from jail uh, uh, back in the 1840s protesting the Mexican War to his friend Emerson. So these kind of ideas of, of speaking up and speaking out are very important, and they're part of the DNA of what it takes to be a, a human being on this planet, I think. I'm going to have to start digging into Bayard Rustin, because what other, oh like, yes. pies did he have his uh, his hands in? Like, he's doing yes. the peace symbol, he's organizing the March on Washington, he's behind the scenes in, in civil rights. Like, this is oh, a significant, really a, like, yes. major figure. Yes. Yeah, And he's gay, he's African-American. There is a prejudice against him within the civil rights movement, so he doesn't get his name until much later. Stay in the background, yeah, kind he, of, yeah. But part of that organizing that march on Washington came out of what he saw in, in uh, London through that uh, peace march. He realized we could do this, and there's a way to organize it, which yep. is exciting to know that it, you know these things, small things, have a have a big impact. And speaking of small things that have a big impact, here's another one, uh, Kansas. In 1887, uh, uh, had uh, granted women the right to vote in municipal elections. Now, this is well before the United States and federal elections, mm -hmm. um, and the uh, the 19th Amendment in 1920. But before then, they had. Well, it turns out that in an attempt to um, uh, show that, oh, by some misogynist men uh, in Argonia, Texas, they said, well, let's just put this woman up for a ha-ha-ha. She'll lose, and that will put them all in place. Instead, actually, she wins the election. Argonia, Kansas, uh, her name is Susanna uh, Medora Salter. She was born in 1860, and um, she uh, goes to college. She meets and marries a young man who becomes a lawyer. They move to this new town of Argonia, Kansas, 
And um, then, uh, in fact, she's the first person to have a child in Arcodia, so she gets that uh, uh, kudos for that, too. Um, she will eventually have nine children. She was the children. first person yeah. to have a child. This is this, a brand-new town, brand new then. Town. Okay. That's right. And uh, she moves there, and then in 1887, when women have just got this right to vote, these men try to think, well, we'll put them in their place. Let's just nominate her. She didn't even know it about it until the very day of the election, and uh, other groups got behind her, and she won two-thirds of the vote. I like and it. And she took a salary of, I think it was a dollar a year, but even the New York Post came and covered, uh, and she was really good. But she had also but was a daughter of one of the first mayors of that town, and also, um, uh, also the... Uh, her father-in-law was a former Kansas lieutenant governor, so she knew something about politics. Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, we got time for one more. What do we okay. got? Okay. Um, then the one other one that I think is um, uh, interesting, well, well, it's something that we just need to at least note, is um, that happens in 1865 on April 9th, and of course it's Appomattox the surrender of Lee, and many people think that's the end of the Civil War. No, it's not. And that continues on, and North Carolina plays a big part of that. So the teaser is you'll have to tune in uh, for our next show because we will tell you what happened here that actually changes history in such a profound way, uh, especially and has ripple effects going forward. So those are good things, just like anything in history, and anybody listening to this program can make those differences that changes history and why history matters. And just like with uh, regular history, this segment does not end. It keeps on going <laughs> next week and beyond. So stay Thank tuned. Goodness. History Can't matters. Wait. Scott Washington, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Eric.